What's going on, everyone, and welcome in to another edition of B-Shape Daily. Brendan Schaefer here with you in the early morning hours of Thursday, August 11th, 2022. As we discuss, a Cardinals team that found a way to come back after the disappointment of Game 1 in this series. And as it turns out, we should have seen this coming. Not just the nice effort on Wednesday night as the Cardinals bounce back to win 9-5, but I'm talking about the first game, too. We should have known... They were going to lose that one and then return to the field tonight with a better effort. I'll explain why that is in tonight's episode of B-Shape Daily, as well as getting into a number of different players offensively, what we think of certain guys right now after their performances on Wednesday night. A lot of big efforts in a 9-5 to win for the Cardinals. We'll touch on Albert Pujols in the four-hit night that he had. Great to see him hitting a home run at Coors Field, the same place he got his first ever Major League base hit. So that was fun to see for the 42-year-old who got on the board with number 687 in this game. How much further can Albert go this season on the all-time home run list? I'll give my own personal prediction for that one on tonight's episode of the show. And how about Paul DeYoung? He just keeps doing it, guys. You can't stop this dude. Everything he touches turns to gold lately. So we'll talk about Paul DeYoung and whether or not this can last, because I think that's the operative question on everybody's mind as they've seen him come through with some damaging swings, continue to use that word damage, and it describes Paul DeYoung. It's Paulie D for a reason. I think the D might stand for damage, at least the way he's swinging it right now. So we'll get into him, and after the night he had, we'll also have to get into some Nolan Arenado talk as he is still hitting the cover off the baseball. He's doing it in a place he knows very well. We'll talk about his night from Wednesday. And another piece I want to talk about offensively, is Lars Newtbar. He's a name that we have brought up from time to time, and he continues to earn some acclaim with the way he's hitting the baseball right now. And I have a new proposition for a lineup spot for Lars Newtbar. I mentioned it briefly yesterday, but I'm all in on it now, I think, after what we saw from him tonight, just continuing to be a spark plug for the Cardinals. So I'll make the case for Lars Newtbar to lead off. That's where I'm going with that one this evening. And I want to give a little bit of credit to Jose Quintana on tonight's episode as well. He pitched very well in this game. In the afternoon on the radio Wednesday, I doubted him and shouldn't have done so. So I want to explain what happened there and and what I think of Quintana's second outing as a Cardinal and why this was one that I didn't necessarily expect him to fare as well. Why I wasn't expecting the quality start that he put up and why I feel pretty good about the fact that he defied my expectations or what that says about what Jose Quintana can bring to the table for the rest of the season is a member of the Cardinals rotation. All that and more coming up tonight on B-Shave Daily. We'll get into a couple of the bullpen decisions as well. Some interesting conversation on Twitter about that, a, a situation where I just sit back and say, you know, this is why I love Twitter. I ask a question and I get some answers, a variety of answers that maybe helps to change my opinion. And then by the end of the game, I certainly had a different opinion than I did when I was thinking about being a little bit not critical, but questioning, certainly, of one move that Ollie Marmel made in Wednesday night's game. So we're going to get into all that and more on this episode of B-Shape Daily. But before we get into the content of the show, I want to remind you real quick that you can subscribe to B-Shape Daily on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or Google Podcasts. Would love you to be on board at any or all of those locations so that you never miss an episode of B-Shape Daily as we break down The Cardinals, every day for the remainder of the season and into the offseason, we'll be doing plenty of episodes as well. So make sure you're locked here 
on B-Shafe Daily to keep up with everything you need to know about this baseball team. Also, another reminder about the Patreon. The brand-new Patreon account is live now at patreon.com slash bshafer12. And this is something that's outside of the B-Shafe Daily realm, but for those who are supporters of B-Shafe Daily, it would be great to have you on board over there. It's a way not only to express your appreciation and your support for B-Shafe Daily, but also you'll get some bonus content over there as well. I wrote another blog this evening, my impressions of the game in Colorado as the Cardinals bounce back. Something different that you're not going to find anywhere else in those blog posts. And I'm also going to be doing additional podcasts that will not be on the B-Shape Daily feed. And so if you're not over there, you will miss those as well. So just uh, some bonus content uh, to try and help to monetize B-Shape Daily and the rest of my work as much as I can. But no obligation. If you're interested, though, head on over to patreon.com slash for 12 And if you'd just like to support the show on a one-time basis, at for 12 on Twitter, click on the Money tab, and it'll link you there to Cash App or Venmo. Appreciate the support that you guys are giving me already. Listening to the show means quite a bit, so let's go ahead and hop into the content of tonight's show as we break down a really good offensive performance by the Cardinals in Colorado. It's a game they needed. I, I figured they would need a good performance from Quintana, but I wasn't sure they'd get it just because of the course field factor. Uh, in his career, Jose Quintana had a 5.92 ERA coming into the evening at Coors Field in five starts. That's a tough place to pitch for anybody. Miles Michaelis found that out the hard way in game one of this series. And so I was just thinking, oh, just keep him in the game as much as you can. Quintana, if you can go five innings, even if you give up three or four runs, we know that sometimes four, five, six runs isn't enough to win a game in this ballpark. Cardinals offense, though, you're going to have to do your job regardless of what the starter brings to the table because no lead is ever safe. Fortunately for the Cardinals in the outcome of this game, the offense got that memo and they struck for 18 hits against Colorado Rocky pitching to come by the nine runs in this game. 18 hits, two walks, so on base 20 times. They did some damage as well, coming up with quite a few extra base hits in this game. They got things started in the first inning with a crooked number, five runs, in that first, but they piled on as the game went on, which ends up being important because of the little bit of a hiccup that you had in the ninth inning. We'll talk about how that related to uh, sort of undoing my initial opinion of Ollie Marmel's bullpen management this evening when Chris Stratton was struggling there in the ninth inning. But it was important for the Cardinals to pile on early and then to be able to continue to do that throughout the game. I love what the bottom of the order did. You had Dylan Carlson batting leadoff, and he goes 0 for 5, does reach with a walk. But, man, things haven't looked great for Carlson recently. We'll talk about maybe that's a reason to consider something else, a little bit of a shift at the top of the order. But the bottom of the lineup, I mean, from 4 on, really carried this thing. Arenado, 3 hits. Pujols, 4 hits. O'Neal, just the 1, but I mentioned it was a double. Paul DeYoung, 4 for 5. Yeah, we're going to have to talk about him. Yachty, two for four, and Newt Bar, two for four. So, really, you're getting contributions from every spot in the lineup. Every spot in the order did reach base at least once in this game. And so, let's just kind of go down the list and talk about some impressions from some of these guys. And we should start with Albert Pujols. Where else? The 42-year-old coming up with a four-hit game is certainly newsworthy. And it's not the first time this season that we've said a triple away from the cycle for Albert Pujols. He's done this before in 2022. He has just been remarkably impressive of late. 
and you pretty much know with Albert, if you're facing a lefty, he's going to come in and do something special, which is interesting because I looked at the numbers for his career. He wasn't really too successful against Kyle Freeland earlier in his lifetime, but tonight it didn't seem to matter. He was very good against the starter, getting things going at the beginning of this game with a double early in the game off of Freeland. He continued to add on as the game went along. Didn't matter who was in there pitching for Colorado. So just really good to see uh, Albert getting the job done. Cardinals got to rough up Austin Comber a little bit as well in this game tonight. The former Cardinal went over there in the Arenado trade. Uh, three and two-thirds innings, just two runs he gave up, six hits, but the two runs were uh, were some fun ones with uh, back-to-back home runs for Nolan Arenado and Albert Pujols coming there in the sixth inning. Yeah, that's pretty neat. <laughs> I mean, for Arenado, and again, I like Austin Gomber, but for Arenado to homer off the guy that he was traded for, that's pretty cool. And for Albert, this is, again, I, I like to do this sometimes, some arbitrary endpoints when we're looking at game logs, but starting on July 6th and going through tonight, he's got an OPS well over 1,000 over the past month plus. So the Cardinals are picking their spots with him, and he's getting the job done. Unfortunately, because of the fact that he's not really a full-time player, he's going to play against lefties every time. It's what we've been saying the entire year, and it's good that that's the case. Like his numbers for the season overall are pretty solid, an OPS near 750, and the majority of the reason for that is the work he does against left-handed pitching with an OPS well over 900 at this point. OPS against righties is hovering down around 600, but that's why they're picking their spots with him. But because of that, he's probably not getting to 700 home runs. I know we talked about it before the season and wondered how close could he get, could he potentially get all the way there, Right now, he's at 687 after the home run on Wednesday, which means 13 to go. He needed 21 to get there when the season began, and so far, he's only got eight, which is is what it is. Like, you knew he'd be a part-time player, and I, I knew it'd be kind of a long shot when the season began. But I think right now, it, it's pretty evident, even the way he's swinging it with that OPS over 1,000 in the last month plus, he's not probably getting to 700, and... I saw this tweet from Ben Fred of the SDL today of, of the Post-Dispatch, and I was surprised because I don't think that this is going to happen either, but he said he predicts that Albert's going to surpass A-Rod on the all-time home run list. Uh, A-Rod's at 696. Albert needs nine more to tie him, 10 to pass him. He's got eight all year. It's been four months, and he's he's crushing it right now, but I don't think he gets another 10 over the last, I mean, we don't have a we don't even have two months remaining before the end of the season. So I don't think that's going to happen, but that doesn't diminish uh, the legacy of Albert Pujols by any means that he doesn't get a little bit higher on a list. He's still the best to ever do it that I've seen anyway. So really fun to see Albert contributing and uh, the Cardinals all around. I mean, it's not like he was the only guy, but anytime you see him doing what he did tonight, it's a little bit extra special. We've got other players to talk about, so let's move on down the list. And by the way, before we do that real quick, uh, I wanted to to give the leaderboard all-time for total bases. This is one list that Albert very well could move up a, a spot compared to where he is right now, and the man he's going to pass is the greatest Cardinal of them all, Stan Musial. Hank Aaron, number one all-time at 68.56 in total bases. Stan the man, 61.34. And number three right now, Albert Pujols, 61-18. So just 16 total bases remaining. If Albert can get that done the rest of the year, which that's four homers 
You know, that's all it would take. He would end up passing Stan the Man. So I think that ends up happening probably pretty impressive. I mean, total bases all time. There's that's I, that's not the end all be all of stats, but it's a pretty impressive one. And uh, just goes to show you another example of, of Albert Pujols' greatness. And don't take it for granted. You've got two more months of watching Albert Pujols, a career winding down, but one of the best careers that's ever existed in this sport. So get out to the ballpark at least one more time. Make sure you see an Albert AB in person. I, I know I don't want to take it for granted. I know I've got more opportunities to see it, but it's pretty cool and happening in real time in front of our eyes. And, and this is only ever going to happen once. You know, he's only going to be the, the final games of Albert's career once, and then it won't ever happen again. He's a special player. So I'm, I'm going to try to take it in, and I recommend you guys do the same. Let's talk about the rest of this Cardinals lineup, though. Paul DeYoung's the next guy I want to talk about because he is en fuego right now with the way he's seeing the ball. He actually got some singles today, which I didn't know was allowed for him. Prior to this, he had only hit extra base hits. But four for five, two doubles, two singles, had an RBI, scored a couple of runs. DeYoung is pushing. He's knocking on the door of the Mendoza line. He's betting 191 for the season, which is impressive considering he was you know, prior to the last few days, not even really doing a ton in terms of his batting average for the season. It was more just you were getting some power from him, and even Ollie Marmel said, we don't care what the batting average looks like. It's going to be what it is, and we'll we'll kind of take it from there as long as the power is still being supplied. If the slugging and driving the ball and making productive swings is still part of his game. We don't worry about the average. It was 130 before they sent him down for it to be all the way up now where it is at 191 is, uh, it's pretty crazy. And just for reference, like some of the guys on the team that aren't maybe swinging it quite as well, Dylan Carlson, I mentioned is over five. His OPS is down to 700 even. And I know there are going to be some uncomfortable conversations about Dylan Carlson moving forward because I've been a big supporter of his and we're just not seeing impactful swings from him right now. Like, it's the inverse Paul DeYoung, where DeYoung, every time he hits the ball, he's hitting it hard somewhere. Carlson has one of the lowest hard hit rates in baseball this season. And it's it's a little nauseating, to be honest with you, because I he should be better than that. I think, I think his swing, he's not really... I see some swings where it's like he doesn't even finish the swing. I'd like to see him really continue to get back to driving the ball like he had done, but... You know, if you, you look at the data, you can't say he's a guy that's driven the ball because he's one of the lowest in the game this year in hard hit rate. And that's that's a source of frustration. And uh, I, I think probably signals he needs to move from the leadoff spot for a little while, maybe take some pressure off of him. I'm, I'd be in favor of that. His OPS is 700. Tommy Edmonds' OPS for the season, he was batting number two. He was batting second today, 685. He went one for five with a run scored. 685 and 700 from the guys batting in the top two spots in your order. Uh, those were the least productive spots in the order tonight. Paul DeYoung, his OPS is 683, which is ridiculous because when he went down, it was 417. It's gone up 270 points, and he's almost to the point where he's surpassing guys who have been here all year and have been in prominent spots in the order all year. So I... And I had some conversations with people on Twitter, and I don't think this is the primary 
thought process of the fan base, but there are people who say, oh, this is going to last for the young. Well, maybe that is primary. Maybe a lot of people feel that way. But I don't think most people are questioning what we're seeing right now and in, in questioning whether or not Paul DeYoung should be in the lineup. I got multiple comments, though, that said, well, Brendan Donovan's OPS is 770. That's almost 100 better than DeYoung. Why is DeYoung getting Brendan Donovan's at-bats? No, no, no. <laughs> no, 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 no. That's not, that's not the conversation here. Paul DeYoung has been the Cardinals' best hitter non-Nolan Arenado division since returning on July 30th. Before tonight, and again, Baseball Reference has not updated this yet, so they're the bane of my existence, but before tonight, his OPS was 1175 since his return. I can tell you it went up. It had to have. He goes four for five with two doubles. So he has been on fire. And I recognize that this is only his second multi-hit game since returning. And prior to, he, I mean, he, here were his games. One hit, one hit, zero, zero, one, one, zero, two, one. And then he gets the four tonight that really puts it into perspective. But in those games, he went home run, home run, double, double, home run, double in the same game, home run. He hasn't had a game this year, well, not this year, but since July 30th, where if he's gotten a hit, he's getting an extra base hit as well every single time. That's damaging swings. Those are the kinds of damaging swings that you have not seen enough from Carlson or Edmund. So for me, I don't question that maybe Brendan Donovan should be seeing some more playing time. It doesn't come at Paul DeYoung's expense. It can't. He's been too impactful for this team. For me, though, when you're talking batting lineup, I'll talk about who I want lead off in a few minutes. I already teased it at the top of the show. But for me, DeYoung is not a guy that I want to move in the batting order because I feel like the difference for him between success and failure at times in his career has been 95% mental. It's his mental inability to put the physical together. He knows how to do it, but at times it's like there's a roadblock in in the brain and it has not, you know, it's caused him to not put it together when he's perfectly capable of doing so. It, it was so significant, in fact, that he needed more than 200 at-bats in AAA this year just to kind of let go of, of the habits he was in and get right. And now I think physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, all of that, I think Paul DeYoung is in a good place right now. If you hear him talk, you see him play, it's evident that he's got confidence and some swagger to his game. The Cardinals are trusting him to play every day as well they should. I don't think it's unreasonable to look at a guy like Tommy Edmond and go, all right, maybe maybe he's a part-time player for the time being. I don't think it means forever, but right now, I don't know that he's doing quite enough. He does impact the game defensively. He does steal bases. He got his 23rd tonight. And so if you say, no, I, th- I think he needs to be in the lineup, I'll I'll be okay with that. But he shouldn't be batting in the top half of the lineup. I need him probably as the, the double leadoff man batting ninth for the majority of the time, unless we start to see it turn around offensively. He's just been a little bit lagging behind. And Carlson is a similar story and maybe even more so significant. He's had a lot of offers recently where, uh, and he reached base via walk tonight. So he's still getting on base, but it took him six plate appearances and, and he only comes up with the one walk, six runners left on base tonight for Carlson. So he had opportunities to do damage and wasn't able to come through. It's a one game sample size. So I don't want to harp on him too much for tonight, but it has been a little bit of a trend for Carlson recently and I've got to be intellectually honest about that, even though I'm a big fan of his. It's not working out right now. And that's why I even mentioned, I, I think I said it last night, I'll say it again. If you feel like it's not working, Alec Burleson would be a guy that I'd bring him up and I'd allow him to get some playing time. Now, 
Could O'Neal or Lars Newbar play center field? I don't know. So defensively, we can't discount Dylan's value. That's another area where I say, all right, he doesn't have to sit. He doesn't even have to bench Dylan Carlson. He shouldn't be a leadoff guy. Take a little bit of the pressure off of his plate. I know he's an even-keeled guy, but sometimes it can be a little overwhelming to be in that leadoff spot every day, and when you're not performing, it can compound on itself. That might be what's happening a little bit right now for Carlson. So I'd move him down. I'd move Edmund down. The next question, obviously, is who takes their place, and the alignment today was Carlson-Edmund 1-2. That's not been the case every day. Gorman batted second recently. He was at a lineup today against a lefty. That's pretty much the prominent way to do things if you're the Cardinals in 2022. Uh, it's a good platoon split. Gorman or Albert, and Gorman doesn't have to be the DH when he bats, uh, but but that's a nice way to do it if it if it works out. And actually, today, Pools was the first baseman, and, and Goldie was the DH, but that's just to get Goldie a day off his feet, which is going to be a good decision from time to time. I don't think I'm moving Paul DeYoung, as I mentioned, up in the lineup. Some people say, well, man, the way he's hitting for damage, you bat him second, that'd be great. I, I, As I mentioned a few minutes ago, I just want to keep Paul DeYoung where he is. Do I think what he's doing is sustainable? No, not on this level. But do I think it's sustainable to the point where he can level out as the kind of hitter that he was when he first came into the league in the first and second and third year when his OPS was 857, 746, 762? Yeah, I think that can be Paul DeYoung again. And if it is, that's league average to slightly above league average. And with his defense, he's a 3-4 win player. We've talked about this before. But if he's batting seventh, that's fine. I don't want to change a lot of things in Paul DeYoung's world. I'm not saying he's not a mentally tough player. But if it ain't broke with him, I'm not looking to fix it. All right? He's already had a lot of strange situations. And if he's in the rhythm right now, I'm not trying to mess with that one iota. But there is a guy that I think could handle it. And I'd like to see what he could do. And he's, he's been able to pick up the mantle really successfully over the past, really now it's been six, seven, eight weeks, is Lars Nupar, who's really coming on strong. He's starting to show up in, in the box scores and in the season-long statistics above several of his prominent teammates. 749 is the OPS for Lars Nupar at the end of the night tonight. Same exact batting average as Dylan Carlson, 237. And we know that Newt was under 200 for quite a while, so that's an improvement on where he was. Carlson's come back down the other way. He was higher, and now he's falling down to 237. But for Newt Bar, two triples tonight. And I thought, wow, it's probably been a long time since that's happened. No, apparently Edmundo Sosa did it last year, which I remember now, but initially I had forgotten it. And uh, this website, StatMuse, is going to be nice. I, I really have never had, I don't know why it never occurred to me to just ask Twitter, and within five minutes I found a good site. But I've never had a site where I could just Google, or not Google, but search on the site and go, when's the last time a Cardinal hit two triples in a game? And boom, it shows right up. So that'll be helpful in my endeavors. Um, I'm illiterate, apparently. I don't know how to Google. I don't know how to use uh, the internet. That's special. But nevertheless, Lars Dubar knows how to do a few things, and hit triples is one of them. He had two of them tonight. He's just such an energetic player. He, he has some passion. He has some pizzazz. He is a fan favorite because he's got a funny name. But it's not just the name, it's his personality. He is just a fun dude, Lars Nupar. And so everything about him screams to me, throw him in the leadoff spot and see if he can thrive there. Because if he can, the Cardinals have answered a question that they have been looking to figure out something for all year long. It's not been consistent when they've had Edmund there. It's not been consistent when they've had Carlson there. It's just not, it ain't going the way that they wanted it to for either of those guys right now. Nupar's OPS for the season, 749. Carlson's is 700, Edmonds is 685. On base percentage, Lars Newtbar, 327. 
That's not, it doesn't scream leadoff necessarily. I, typically, if I had my druthers, I'd have my leadoff man with a higher on base percentage than 327. That being said, Tommy Edmond, 320 for the season. So Lars Nupar's above Tommy Edmond in, in on base percentage, and he's also above Dylan Carlson, who hasn't taken a ton of walks recently either. Again, he had one today, but in addition to the low batting average, 308 is now his on-base percentage. So Lars is higher in that category than both those guys. I'd bat Lars Newbar leadoff, and if I wanted to move Carlson down, I, I, I like I already said, Edmund number nine would be my my typical choice if he's in the game. And sometimes you can you can start Gorman for him, you could start Donovan for him, and I'd be totally fine with it. He doesn't have to play every day right now. Give him more breathers. You and, and if he's going well, great. Just like Paul DeYoung, I'm not sitting him for nothing right now. If he figures it back out, he's back in. But for now, if it's not going hot, don't be afraid to make him play half the time. And I know he's been nursing some injuries as well. That's been talked about, but kind of in a hushed tone. If he's not completely healthy, all the more sense in giving him some rest to make sure he can get back to that point by the time the playoffs arrive. Makes sense. But I'm looking at the lineup in that number two spot, and it's circled and bolded in my lineup card because I want to see that be a prominent spot for the Cardinals. I'm not moving Goldie or Arenado right now. They're doing well in the 3-4 alignment. In a perfect world, maybe Goldie moves up to three or moves up from three to two, and you have Arenado three. But I like the way Goldie three lengthens the lineup, and I'm good with it because he's been thriving in that spot. OPS is still above 1,000 at 1018 for the year. Arenado with his big day is up to 932, so he's definitely etching his way into that MVP conversation and slowly gaining on Goldsmith. I hope it doesn't happen. I don't. I don't want to see... Arenado catch Goldschmidt because I don't think it happens unless Goldie really starts to dip back down below 1,000, below 975, that sort of thing. But for what Nolan is doing, uh, you're not going to complain about that by any means. But I'm looking at that two-spot, guys, and I think because there's not a perfect answer, I would like to see how it looks to put Carlson in there for a little bit. And I know I just said move him down, and that's only one spot. But is the protection of Goldschmidt behind you something that can get him going a little bit better? I don't know if that is the answer, I'd be willing to try it. Um, you could get creative and put Tyler O'Neill up there. Maybe again, if you're looking to get somebody going, putting them right before Goldschmidt may be a, a way to try to do that. If you put Tyler O'Neill up there, he strikes out too much. I get that. Nolan Gorman, I'm cool with Gorman being in that spot. They've done that when he's been in the lineup recently. But I'm okay trying Carlson there from time to time. Otherwise, yeah, move somebody up. I know DeYoung would be an obvious guy, but he still strikes out a lot. O'Neill could be a guy that you try to get started. Carlson could be a guy you try to get started. And uh, I think Carlson batting sixth would be an interesting choice. So I guess I've settled on when Gorman's not in the lineup, if these are the guys that are in there from tonight, I'll move Edmund to nine, Newt Bar to one. Carlson slides from one to six, O'Neill up to two. That'd be something I'd try a little bit. So it would be Lars Newt Bar, Tyler O'Neill, Goldsmith, Arenado. Pujols, obviously, against a lefty. You could go Gorman fifth against a righty. O'Neal, DeYoung, Molina, Edmund is something that intrigues me a little bit. And I don't want to bury Brendan Donovan either, but his batting average, everything's kind of come down for him a little bit recently. So there's not as much of the uh, the emphasis, the impetus to get him in there. But I, I, I still think he can be a valuable player for this team as well. So that's a lot about the offense that we've talked. Let me get into the conversation about the pitching with Jose Quintana. And uh, maybe a little bullpen conversation. We also should talk Pop Warner. Let me do that real quick. Uh, and it's it's a short conversation. Pop Warner, maybe not so much aggression. 
I think there have been a number of cases, not just tonight, but this year where Cardinals have gotten thrown out at the plate. And on some of them, especially the DeYoung send tonight, it just was not a good send. Uh, doesn't need to happen. Even if you're up six runs at the time, as we saw in the ninth inning, it, it can easily slip away from you at Coors Field. There's no reason to get reckless, and I feel like Pop Warner got a little bit reckless tonight. I don't have a lot to say about that. I'm not going to dive in and really dissect the work of the third base coach, but uh, there's no way DeYoung should have been sent there. And then the one that happened to Edmund later on, that left fielder was playing really shallow, and I, I was I thought that was a surprise too. But with Edmund, I can at least understand it because he's a fast player. Uh, but I just I don't think so on the on that DeYoung send. So hey, a short, sweet, and to the point conversation about Pop Warner. We got that we got that out of the way. Let's get into Quintana because on the well, let me start at the beginning here. When the Cardinals traded for him, I said this guy's going to be a quality start machine. And I even said it on KTGR on the big show, four to six weekdays in Columbia, Missouri. Mizzou fans, if you're also a Mizzou fan, uh, you're going to love the big show coming up this fall when Mizzou football's going on. And by the way, for Mizzou fans, I, I talk Cardinals mostly on B-Shape Daily, but the Patreon is going to have a lot of Mizzou content as well. So if you're into Mizzou, five bucks a month is all it's going to take to get you all that content, and it's helping to support B-Shape Daily. So if you're interested, another quick plug, patreon.com slash bshafer12. But on the radio show, after the first start that Quintana made, I said, this guy's going to be a quality start machine. And my co-host Andy said, well, if he makes, let's say, 10 more starts, how many of them this season do you think are going to be quality? I said, eight. I'd I'd take the over on that. And it's like, all right, that might have been a little bullish. I went and looked it up. His quality start percentage for the season is like 30%. So he's actually one of the lower rated players in, in terms of that percentage, which a quality start, six innings at least, and then no fewer, or I should say no more than three earned runs. So let me try that again. You got to go at least six innings, and if you allow more than three, it doesn't count. You got to allow three or fewer earned runs to qualify for a quality start. It just struck me, though, that Quintana's been a guy in his career before that would go 200 innings, 200 innings, 180 innings. Like, that's what he was when he was with the the White Sox and then the Cubs even for the first two year or two that he was with them. He was a guy that was a workhorse. And now he goes from a Pirates defense that was sort of uh, middle of the pack toward bottom of the league. It was like 19th in defensive run saved when he left. Comes to the Cardinals top five in defensive run saved. And most of those gains happen on the infield, especially in the alignment that features Goldschmidt, Edmund, Arenado at third, DeYoung at short. That's a really good alignment for this team. And even if it's Edmund at short with Gorman at second, as it was for a while, I, I still think you're good there. And a ground ball pitcher like Quintana with the infielders the Cardinals are running out, I just had a feeling this guy was going to turn into a quality start machine like he was at one point in his career. Even though he's been not very good at it this year, he's been a good pitcher, but he's often not gone past five, five and a third, that kind of thing. And so I felt like that was a a bullish bet to make, but I felt okay with it. And then I checked the schedule and saw he was pitching in Colorado tonight. I saw that his ERA against the Rockies was near six for his career at Coors Field specifically. And I was like, man, this guy's going to go five and a third and give up three, four runs today. He's not going to get the quality start. I shouldn't have doubted him. I should have stuck with my initial prediction, and then I would be looking so smart right now because he's two for two on quality starts since joining the Cardinals. Six innings, two runs tonight for Quintana at Coors Field. The night after the Cardinals gave up 16 runs, and what was it, 22 hits? And then it was 25 runs, the two prior games combined. That's all in the rearview mirror, and Jose Quintana said, I can be the stopper. I said it last night. Will he be able to be the stopper 
even though it's not a huge losing skid, can he stop the bleeding of we're giving up so many runs right now over the last two games? The answer was yes. I was very impressed by Quintana. Steady Eddie, that's what he's going to be for this team. Six innings, two runs, seven hits, two walks. That's nine base runners, but he found a way to scatter it, and six strikeouts is more than I thought. You know, I don't think he's going to be quite a K per inning guy the rest of the way, but he was tonight and lowers the ERA to 3.37. Jose Quintana is going to sign an extension with the Cardinals. I'm going to continue to say it. I predicted that the day they traded for him, that he's going to have a two-year deal or a three-year deal uh, at some point, whether it's November, whether it's tomorrow. I don't know. Probably not this season, but he will be a Cardinal for 2023 unless an injury occurs. He's just too perfect of a fit for that not to be the case. And tonight, he was he was awesome. He was exactly what the Cardinals needed. They get back in the win column thanks to him. And uh, he, like I said, continues that little string of quality starts two in a row now with the Cardinals. And good thing, too, the Brewers won tonight, 4-3. to three. I didn't even know that until I was just talking, and I thought, I better check. And, yeah, the Brewers beat the Rays again. So, again, Brewers aren't going to just disappear into the night. That's not going to happen. I know they really struggled after the deadline. That was not going to last forever. They're too good for that to be the case and now they've won a couple of good games against the Tampa Bay Rays. But the Cardinals get the win as well, so they remain in first place by a game. And going into Thursday, that'll be interesting to see how things shake out between the Brewers and the Cardinals. And then coming into Bush Stadium on Friday will obviously be Milwaukee, and that'll be a series that will decide a lot of things in terms of the NL Central race moving forward. But before we wrap up and before we get into a little bit of that preview, I do want to mention the Andre Palante involvement in tonight's game. I saw him pitch in the seventh, and I thought, that's a little weird. It's an 8-2 to score right now. Does he really need to be in this game with Dakota Hudson pitching on Thursday? Like, he was the piggyback last time. You've waited this long to use him. You might as well wait another day, and just in case Hudson needs uh, a little bit of help, you'd have Palante there to to rescue him. But then he pitches the eighth inning, and I, I tweeted it out at that point in time, and I said, is Palante multi-innings in a blowout the day Jake Woodford got promoted odd to anyone else or just me? Because at that point, I'm thinking, well, Palante might, now he's going two innings. He's probably off the books at least for one day. Is that regular? Is that making sense to anybody else? It's eight to two. Why do they need this? And I liked some of the replies that I got. I'm going to go through a few of them. Richard said, so I've been thinking the same thing. However, up six with three innings to go at Coors isn't super safe. Let him go all three and nail it down. I'd rather have him in the rotation over Hudson, but for now, go for the win and may not have that chance tomorrow, which I agree with. I was like, all right, yeah, that makes sense. And I did agree with the part about let him go all three. If you're going to let him pitch two, let him go all three. We'll talk about that in a minute too. Another comment from uh, just says Cardinals fan. Yeah, I thought it was. I can only think they plan on piggybacking Hudson if things go south tomorrow. And you say, okay, how are they going to do that? The answer could obviously be Jake Woodford if they need it tomorrow because he does come up today. That's something I guess I should have talked about as well. If you haven't heard the news by now, I apologize. I'm supposed to be the one to tell you these things. It happened earlier on Wednesday, and I did tell you last night on B-Shape Daily that it was probably going to happen, and it did. TJ McFarland designated for assignment, no longer on the active roster. He will probably be released uh, after the period under which the DFA is taking place. Basically, he's put on waivers. Nobody's going to claim him. He could accept an assignment to Memphis if the Cardinals wanted to send him there. They probably don't. I think he'll be, his his numbers, or his numbers are dayed. His days are numbered. It's too late at night for me to be talking into a microphone. 
But yeah, I mentioned it last night. It seemed like they were going to let TJ McFarland finish the blowout game, and then that was going to be the end. Like on the mound, he probably knew he was done. And I don't know if that'll be his final big league pitch. I hope he was soaking it in, but maybe he gets picked up by somebody else who knows. But yes, we talked about it at length on B-Shape Daily. It was time. They they weren't comfortable using him. And then they finally did use him, and he didn't pitch well. So that was going to be the one that that likely told you, uh, yep, this one's this one's not going to not gonna last. And uh, TJ didn't last. So Cardinals should thank him for his service last year. He was really, really good in uh, a season where they absolutely needed him. But that was the situation. So what it means is Jake Woodford is up now and could end up being the guy that you use as a piggyback to Hudson tomorrow if needed. And you should not go into a day thinking who's going to piggyback your starter, but that's what the Cardinals are right now with Hudson. Hopefully he's able to figure it out. But Eric said, eh, six-run lead at Coors. Don't feel blowout safe just yet, LOL. Let him finish and have everybody else ready for game three. So everybody that was making the comments, there were some really good ones, and there were some others that I I, I was scrolling through here, and I thought I might be able to find, and now I'm not. No, I'm not seeing them here. One was uh, from STL Sports. Definitely odd. Either Marmol is saving Woodford to back up Hudson or Marmol is going to stash Woodford for blowouts just like he was doing with McFarland, which would be dumb. I agree with that, but because this wasn't entirely a blowout, and you're on the winning end of it. Somebody else said 8-2 to two in the seventh inning at Coors. Don't think it's that odd. Uh, I totally get it. I totally get it if, if you're looking at that and you're saying, well, this game is not safe. You just lost a game in game one, and you want to make sure to win game two. Because the stat of the day that I mentioned off the top of the show, and this is really courtesy of whoever gave it to Al Herboski because he read it on the postgame show, and I vetted it to make sure it was true because it seemed almost impossible to believe, but it was it is factual to my knowledge based on my quick research. Cardinals are 0-8 this season. 0-8 in the first game of a road trip. Not just a series, but of a road trip. And they are 8-0 in the second game of a road trip. Yesterday, it's a short trip to Denver this week because there's only three games and then they come back home. But first game was Tuesday. They lost. Second game Wednesday, they win. Ali Marmel knew the stat and had to get Palante in the game to make sure they would preserve the lead. No, but I do think in retrospect, like at the again, I wasn't like trying to rip him to shreds for putting Palante in there, but I did think it's six to two. Like, don't you have any isn't this what you got Jake Woodford for? But they might be saying, well, we can throw Woodford tomorrow in a game that we have a chance to maybe win, but today we know we can win. So let's throw the guy that we trust more in Palante, get two innings from him. And then for whatever reason, they brought in Chris Stratton because I guess they have to do it every day. It's like in his contract. Stop bringing him in every day. No wonder he gives up so many runs. It's it's the new Nick Whitgren. I said immediately upon the trade he was going to be, and I was half joking, but it, seriously, it seems like he pitches all the time for a guy whose ERA is 5.36. I don't know what the obsession is. I think it's just a guy who his arm must just be like rubber, and so he's not going to get hurt, they figure, and it's just fine. And if you've got a six-run lead in the ninth inning, he should be able to manage it even if he gives up a few runs. That's what happened. He gave up five hits. Several were dinkers, but some of them weren't. Five hits, three runs, two of them earned. Cardinals do make an error in that inning. But it's just weird. It's weird that Stratton needs to come in as often as he has been. Um, But whatever. I guess it works if it works. But I would have said just leave Palante in. If you're going to throw him two, might as well throw him a third. He was two innings, uh, three strikeouts, just one hit given up. If you're really wanting to to go that route, do it. Because now you, you can't have Stratton tomorrow. And who's going to pitch if you're up by four or down by four? It's got to be Stratton because he's got to pitch in every situation, clearly. I don't know. 
But that was the one area that I said, well, I'm kind of questioning it from Ollie. And then I get to the ninth inning and I see the fact that, okay, yeah, this is personification of the reality that this is not a safe lead. There is no such thing. They actually had to get Ryan Helsley up and throwing, which is an abject disaster just to have to have that happen. I know he didn't come into the game, but they look at those pitches and they count those warm-up pitches in the bullpen as part of a workload for a guy, especially Helsley. They're not going to just ignore something like that. That's not to say he's not going to be available tomorrow, but it is unfortunate that it went that way uh, because it does probably impact him on some level in the long term. They go back a week, seven days, 10 days, 12 days to say, okay, what's his pitch count? What's his workload? And uh, it's just a bummer that they had to even get him up and throwing. But Stratton was able to get it done at the end of the day. The Cardinals get the win. All's well that ends well in a good offensive day at Coors Field. That's going to do it for this edition of the show. The Cardinals have a day game on Thursday in Colorado. I think it's like a 2-10 start, a little bit of, of a weird one. Dakota Hudson against Herman Marquez. We'll see. Marquez hasn't had a great season either, so maybe that's another opportunity for the Cardinals to jump on the opposing starter the way they did Kyle Freeland today. Would be good to win that series after losing game one. Being able to come back would be a, a good mark of a good competitive team. The Cardinals have certainly been that recently, so we'll see how they fare. But it may depend on what Dakota Hudson's able to give them. And if he doesn't give them much, the clamoring for a different answer at the fifth starter spot is only going to grow louder. Though I do think Jack Flaherty up and at him with the rehab situation could be that he is entering into the mix sooner rather than later. I don't want to get ahead of myself with that, though, because we've we've seen that story. We've seen that movie before play out in 2022, and uh, the ending wasn't very good. So we'll see what happens there. But a big day for Dakota Hudson on Thursday. We'll be back on Thursday night for a podcast that will post on Friday morning to break it all down. Appreciate you guys as always, and we'll talk to you next time on Be Shafe Daily. Peace.